All right, Remnant, how are we doing? Fantastic. My name is Frank. I'm glad to see all of you here. Uh, I thank you for taking time out of your weekend to join us. Um, we're in a series that we're starting today about Easter. And uh, this is probably going to be an Easter season that all of us remember. Uh, because it's a little different than the ones we've had before. And I think it's important as we begin to think about Easter, as we begin to think about what Jesus did. It, so often we focus on the week before he goes to the cross. But today I want to talk about a moment, a moment where Jesus much earlier really began his march towards the cross. And we're going to talk about that today. Now I may go ahead and tell you that the, t the title of the sermon today is Chiseled. And you, I'm going to get the disappointment over with because I'm sure you saw this title. You thought I was going to finally share my secrets for getting my physique. Um, but that, we're going to have to save that for another day because uh, I want to go in a different direction. How many of y'all have been to Mount Rushmore? Mount Rushmore? Okay. Yes. Okay. Stand by. Mike's showing up. That'll sound good to everybody. Hi, everybody online. Is that better? All right, I have to um, tell you, when I went to Mount Rushmore, I didn't expect to be wowed, honestly. People chisel stuff out of a rock. It's kind of cool. But those faces are really big. I mean, really big. I didn't realize how big they were until I stood there, and each face is carved out of solid granite. Did you know that 90% of the granite that made... Mount Rushmore was taken away with dynamite. That sounds like a fun art project to me, but I never would have ended up with those results. That's incredible. 14 years, 400 workers, and here's the crazy part. Every day, get this, every day, they had to go up 506 stairs just to get to work. The monument's 60 foot tall. Each of the president's heads are like a six-story building. They're Eyes are four, 11 feet across, their noses are 20 feet long, and their mouths are 18 feet wide. When you see them, each face, though, looks so determined and so focused. In fact, the more you stand there, the more you can almost see them looking out into the distance. It's almost as if they're, they're beyond the moment, they're looking at their destiny. It's a really incredible thing that the artists did as they carved them. You just get this sense that they're just looking at something higher than we are that they're looking for their destiny. Whatever they're experiencing in the moment is insignificant compared to what their life was really about. Their faces remind me of Jesus. Well, at least a moment in Jesus' life, a moment that was part of an overall mission to save all of us. A moment when the story of Jesus turns to the cross. You see, there's a moment in Jesus' ministry where prior to this, he's, he's in Galilee and he's reaching everybody and he's, he's doing what the Father told him to do. But then there's a moment where it's like, okay, it's time to go because I have a destiny at the cross. Moment where I think the Easter story should begin. Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up. Notice those words. He's to be taken up. They didn't say he was going up to Jerusalem. They didn't say he was making a trip to Jerusalem. He's being taken up. He's taken up to a higher elevation. Jerusalem is the highest place in the nation. He'd be taken up to a cross. And then he'd be taken up to heaven. 
Now notice something very interesting. Luke tells us not that he's going to Jerusalem, not that he's going to the cross, not that he's going to heaven. He's going to be taken up. That involves other people. He's going willfully, but he's being taken to those places. So we have to ask ourselves the question, who's taking him? Well, our, our initial thought would be, well, it's the people. They're going to crucify him. They're going to, they're, they're going to do things to him. It's going to be horrible. And, and so he's being taken to Jerusalem by the people. No. He's being taken up by God. God is the one orchestrating these events. God's the one that's allowing these events. God's the one that says, now is the time to turn your face and begin to look towards the cross. You see, I have a journey for your life. I have something for you to do. I'm going to orchestrate events in your life to get you where I need you to go so that you'll fulfill your mission and bring the greatest glory to me. Hmm. Everything that happens to Jesus occurs because the Father takes him there. It's the Father who's orchestrating the events of his life on earth. It's the Father who's redeeming man to himself. It's the Father who requires the just punishment for our sins. It's the Father who will be receiving the offering of Jesus as the Lamb of God and determining whether or not it's worthy. It's the Father who will allow every discussion. It's the Father who will allow every false claim, every lash from every whip, every thorn in the crown, every taunt from the crowd, every tortuous step carrying the cross up to Calvary. It's the Father that allows every nail, spear in the side. You see, all those things occur for one reason and one reason only. It was the Lord's will. It was the Father's will. He commanded that it happen. He ordained that it would happen, and he allowed it to happen. And hold on to your seats for a minute. It pleased him to let it happen. Isaiah 53.10 But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Jesus is going to be taken up to Jerusalem, he's going to be taken up to the cross, and he's going to be taken up to heaven. But make no mistake about it, everything that happened to Jesus happened because God the Father allowed it to happen. He ordained it, he orchestrated it, and he made sure it happened. The horrible events of Passion Week were held under the watchful, loving eye of God. He could have stopped it. He has all the power, but he didn't. He could have reduced the whipping, but he didn't. He could have made Jesus die quicker on the cross, but he didn't. And you may be asking yourself, what kind of sick God gets pleasure out of something like this? How in the world is that possible? Jesus is suffering. And the Father enjoyed it? That's just wrong. See how Satan has us inserting things that aren't in Scripture? Never says the Father enjoyed it. Said he was pleased. And that's what I want to talk about today. God never said he enjoyed it in the moment. What pleased him was something else. Let's keep going. 
And this is where our human minds often misunderstand God. You see, we lock into this time warp thing. We tend to see the moment as the most important thing right now. If you ask most people today, what's the most important thing going on in our society? They would say, well, it's COVID-19. Are you dumb? Have you not watched the news? That's not the most important thing going on. We wake up each day. We check to see how things are going. We specifically check to see how things are going for us and the people we love. We go from moment to moment every day. And we decide if things are good or bad. We constantly judge the moment that we're in, and we rarely see our lives, all of the moments together, as part of a bigger picture. We're so focused on what's happening right now, we miss that we're actually part of something much larger, much bigger. So right now we're dealing with COVID-19. People are in lockdown. Others I know, and many, several of my patients have it. Humans look at the news to try to get a sense of how things are going. We live our lives moving from one uncertain moment to the next, one reason to worry to the next. We have to be forced almost to see our lives as something bigger than this particular moment. It happens when we do things like going to a funeral. Someone we love unexpectedly or even expectedly dies, it forces us to stop looking at the moment and start wondering about the bigger picture. When something bigger than us threatens us and wakes us up out of our moment-to-moment, me-first, selfish existence, we begin to question and examine the things of God. You see, we live in an individualistic society, and we almost never see our lives the way God sees us. We rarely see ourselves as part of the bigger picture. We make our lives about us. Our moments have to work for us. We look from moment to moment and judge God in our world as if that's all that's going on. It pleased the Father to send Jesus to the cross. He didn't enjoy it. He wasn't eating popcorn and watching it. In the moment, he's devastated. Heartbreaking. Can you imagine being a father and have your son say, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine the pain that is in the moment? Jesus on the cross crying out to the Father, where have you gone? You don't seem to be here with me anymore. Where are you, Father? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in the moment of your life, a dark, deep, challenging moment of your life, and you wonder where God went? And you wonder why he's allowing you to go through it. And you wonder why you're fearful and why things aren't going the way you want them to go and why the Father doesn't seem to be there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're really freaking out about this whole COVID virus thing. You see people, you hear of them getting the disease and dying. You see people fighting over toilet paper. You see people afraid to engage with one another, unwilling to come to church, but packing into Publix. And in the moment, you wonder, where did God go? And why would God allow such a horrible thing to happen to you and to all those you love in this moment? If God truly cared, you'd be thinking aloud, he'd fix this. He'd make me feel better in this moment. You see, God, he owes it to me to make me feel safe in every moment of my life. Have you ever met people who never seem to plan anything? 
never seem to have any overall structure or strategy to their life. They just go from one moment to the next, no real plan, no real goals, just going through life without any real purpose. Do you know what we call those people? Free spirits. Have you ever heard somebody call a free spirit? Do you know where that term comes from? Free spirit, well, it's changed over the years, you see. It's a good term now. It means you're just loose and not tied down and you're kind of your own soul. We think that they're footloose and fancy free. Not a care in the world, just living life to the fullest, moment to moment, free spirited, we call them. I read once that the term free spirit was used in the second and third century churches. They used that term. The original word actually meant void or without or not having. People who didn't know God were called free of the Spirit. I couldn't find the source again to cite it for you, but I believe it's true. The early church fathers used the term free of the Spirit to describe those people who had rejected Jesus as the Lord. They live their lives without the Spirit of God. No overwhelming purpose, no higher calling, not aligned with God's plan for their life. Their lives were detached from anything God was doing in the world. They were living moment to moment with no regard for any overall purpose or any idea that there might be something bigger going on in the world than their little world. People who live free of the Spirit only see their lives and what God is doing right now. They have no concept of their higher calling. They have no concept of the sacrificial calling for a later, greater moment. They don't see themselves as part of God's overall bigger plan. It pleased God to send Jesus to the cross. Because God's not limited to a moment. God never promised to give us a life wrinkle-free. In fact, he promised us that we would have trouble. And he told us that trouble might be long-term. Paul says it this way in Romans, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not, do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Paul continues, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Notice something here. God does not say that for those he loves, all of our moments will be good. In fact, he promises the opposite. Jesus said this, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Don't miss what he's saying here. I'm going to tell you how horrible it's going to get. I'm going to describe to you terrible events at the end times. And I'm telling them to you so that you'll have peace. But most people who live moment to moment don't ever see the peace because all they can see is, uh-oh, a virus might come. Uh-oh, something bad may happen. There may be an earthquake or a plague or something. They don't see the overall picture. As believers, we're going to have some really painful, gut-wrenching moments in our lives. But we're never going to have bad ones. Let me repeat that. In your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will have some really difficult moments, but never bad ones. Every moment in your life and in my life 
has been allowed by the Father. He has the power to stop it. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going to happen, and yet he's allowed it. He didn't always cause it, but he allows it for his purposes. Just as it pleased him to send Jesus to the cross, it pleases him to allow us to go through trials, disease, sickness, the flu, COVID-19, and yes, even suffering and death. If God has allowed something to occur in his sovereign will, there's something about it that advances his greater purpose for mankind. The moments may seem difficult, but for believers, they're never bad. Why? Because our lives are much more about than what's happening right now in the moment. Paul tells us in this Romans passage that we're going to have moments. They're going to be bad. They're going to be tough. They're going to be difficult. We're going to think they're bad. We're not going to have words. In fact, it's going to get so bad that all we can do is groan when we pray. But then he says, but for those who know the Lord and who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Why? Paul tells us. You see, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. Do you you see what's in this passage? This is a promise only to believers. All things work for good for those who know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, things aren't going to work out well for you in the end. Let me just tell you. You may have some great moments along the way, but in the end, you're doomed. But see, we're assured that we have difficult times, but never bad ones. Because God knows us. God is conforming us into the image of Jesus. Those he knows, he called. Those he called, he justifies. Though he justifies, he glorifies. No matter how difficult our moments may seem, the greater truth of our lives as believers is that every moment we live in is allowed by God and used by God to change us into the image of Christ. Don't miss that. If you're going through something that you would consider a trial, it is because God wants to use that to change you to be more like Jesus. He's allowed it in your life because it's the best thing that could happen to get you to change. You see, COVID-19 is a blessing that God has allowed into our lives to reveal the strength of our foundation, to allow us to see our faith in him in action and to shape us to be just like Christ. More importantly, and this one you may need to hold on to your seats for, God has allowed it into our lives It is not only his will, but it is the very best thing that can happen to you and me. Wow. You see, because God never does second best. Something may happen in your life and you're going, this is horrible, I have cancer. I have whatever, this is terrible, this is horrible. And in that moment it is. But of all the things in all the world God could use to shape you to be like Jesus, this is what he's chosen. There's a lesson in this moment that can't be taught any other way. You have to go through it. 
You have to go through it because the goal is not making you comfortable in the moment. The goal is making you more like Christ in the end. So if God has allowed it in your life and God has the potential to do anything and everything, it is, whether you like it or not, the best thing he can use to get you to move and become more like Christ. Of all the options available to God in our world, COVID-19 is best right now. If you believe as I do that God can do anything, that he's not limited in any way, and that everything he allows is best for those he loves, whatever event has happened in your moment, it went through perfect God first to get you, to get to you. Nothing happens to you that God hasn't allowed. No circumstance in your life gets beyond his notice. If he can't use it to change you to be like Christ, and if it's not the best thing to change you to be like Christ, he'll use something else. Because he's only going to give those he loves the very best. You may not like it in the moment, but we surrendered to him so we wouldn't have to live in the moment. If you don't know Jesus, all you have is moments. COVID-19 is the best virus, the best worldwide event for this moment in human history to bring about in the world what God desires for those he loves. We can label the moment good or bad from our human view, but God would call it necessary in order to accomplish his overall mission on earth. Jesus was incredible at living his human life from one moment to the next. He was always engaged in what the Spirit of God was doing in that moment. Never worried about the future, never concerned about his past. Just fully focused in the moment with the Father, doing what the Father asked him to do. And while he lived completely in the moment, he always was aware that those moments were simply necessary events to bring about the Father's greater will for the world. He never missed that he was on a mission to save the world. Yes, he's fully engaged in the moment. He's healing the leper. He's raising the, the, the lame. He's, he's raising people from the dead in the moment, but he's never missing that his overall mission is about saving the world. You see, God's not limited by time. No matter how you feel about the moments in your life, he's using them to shape you into the image of Christ and to bring about his sovereign will in the world. That's why he says, all things work for good for those who know the Lord. He didn't say all things will be good for those who know the Lord. They will work for good. In the moment, they're going to be horrible. In this world, you will have troubles. But when you see and look back over your life at the horrible things that happened in the moment, did they make you more like Christ? Don't you look back now and go, I'm glad I went through that. Because I don't think I could have gotten my attention any other way. I don't think I could have learned that lesson any other way. I had to totally depend on God because I couldn't depend on me anymore. Yep. Been there. Did you ever have to hold your children while they pleaded for you because they didn't want a shot or a treatment that in the long run will save their lives? You ever had to look into their eyes and tell them that the moment's tough and painful and seems unfair and it looks like you don't love them, but they got to go through this moment to have better ones later? That the benefit coming is so great that love demands that they get through and stay in this moment. Our Heavenly Father sends us through many moments that are necessary for us. 
We plead for them to go away. But he in love tells us it's not only good. It's the very best thing I could allow into your life to shape you to be more like Christ and to carry my will, my desire, my mission forward through your life in the world. You see, we wiggle and we scream and we plead with God to take away COVID-19 and God tells us, no, this too is necessary. And for those who love me, it'll be okay. You may not survive, but it'll be okay. We just have to get through this. This is what I love about God, though. He tells us the same thing we tell our children. Whatever happens in the moment, don't worry, I'll be right there with you. I won't leave you. I won't leave you alone no matter how scared you get, no matter what you have to go through, no matter how painful it is, no matter how fearful, how dark, how uncertain, the one thing you can know is I'll be here with you every step of the way. You will never spend a moment in the moment alone if you know God. He says, I'm I'm Emmanuel, I'm God with you. And for those who trust in Jesus, you will never, ever have to say the words Jesus said from the cross. There will never be a moment in your life as a Christ follower, no matter how dark your world gets, no matter how terrible things get, where you have to cry out and go, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because those words aren't for you. Because Jesus took your place. So I can make this promise to you from God's word. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. I love that God tells us what's going to happen before it happens. He tells us these moments are necessary, but don't worry. Here's what he says. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Okay, it's getting serious now. Do you know last week, this is when you know it's getting serious. Last week, there was an earthquake in Texas. 5.3 in Texas. We're in serious times, I'm telling you. God says this, hey Frank, hey Remnant, there's going to be famines. There's going to be diseases. It's just the beginning of what's going to happen. They're not labor pains. They're actually the beginning of labor pains. If you think this is bad, hold on. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for these must take place, but the end is not yet. Jesus says, look, there's going to be moments. Don't get alarmed. Keep your eye focused on the bigger picture. I'm coming back. I'm preparing the world for my return. I'm preparing the world to glorify everybody who believes in me. Focus on what I'm doing, not the moment. Because the moments are going to be really bad. And this is nothing compared to what we're going to go through. See that you're not alarmed. See that you are not alarmed, Jesus says. And then I love this verse, the most loving verse I can think of. See, I have told you beforehand. I love that. Look, no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen ahead of time so you'll remember in those moments that when you want to freak out that I'm in control. Not only am I in control of this moment, I knew it was going to happen. And it's necessary. 
And it's the best thing for the long-term plan for the people I love and for the world that I need to judge. And I love the way Peter speaks so bluntly. You know, Peter's one of my favorites. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when glory is revealed. What he's saying is, look, yes, you're going to suffer. Jesus suffered on the cross, but his glory has been revealed. There's going to be events in your life that you don't want to go through, but I'll be with you. And I want you to keep your eye on the prize. Your life is not about the moment you're in. Your life is about something much bigger, much greater. Many Christians right now are acting as if something strange is happening to them. And yet God told us this would happen. Be ready for it. Embrace it. COVID-19 is nothing compared to what's going to follow. If you're afraid now, you better get back into the promises of God and find his peace and resolve because it's going to get worse. How's it going to get worse? Well, Jesus tells us. For there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have survived. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. That doesn't sound good. That, that, that sounds horrible. Yep, it is. There is only one way to prepare yourself for what's coming. And it's not to stock up on toilet paper. When people see what's about to come, can I just tell you toilet paper's not going to help? Just saying. How do we prep for God's plan? We hunker down in his word. That's how we prepare for his plan. We, we say in his presence. We turn off the TV. We turn off social media. We, we turn off all the pundits who don't have a clue about what's going to happen. And then we quarantine ourselves with the only one who does. This is the verse I go to when I'm struggling in the moment to release to God. Let me just share it with you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Don't miss what this says. Your word, your truth, your scriptures... A lamp to my feet. It's enough to get me to the next step. When I begin to worry or get fearful, I, I binge on God's word. And every time, every time I found a verse to get me enough peace to take the next step. I can't see beyond that step. It's a dim light. It just lights my steps. But Oh my God, let me tell you what happens when you get into God's word in the middle of a trial. His word becomes a light to your path. He gives you just enough light to take a step, but what he really reveals to you is the bigger picture. This is where we're going. This is what's going to happen. Yes, I'm with you. Yes, the next steps are kind of tricky, but don't keep your eye off. The, I'm going to light your path so you can see where you're going. I'm going to light up the finish line for you in the middle of your trial so you will know above all else that's where you're going to end up. I'm going to share with you the reason, the path, the greater plan that I have for your life. So in the moment, whatever's happening in the moment is going to dwarf compared to what's going to happen to you when you reach the finish line. He lights up my path. A dim light to my moment, but a floodlight to my future and my purpose and my mission and my life. 
When we come out of Scripture abiding in Christ, we glow spiritually like Moses glowed physically because we've been in the presence of God. We come out of our time abiding with Christ, not really caring about the moment, lit up completely about the path we're on. Like David, we can say, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. When God's people, glowing from abiding in God's word, go out into the trials and tribulations facing the world, they bring light into the darkness and are willing to do anything to allow God to use their lives to accomplish his mission on earth. When you spend enough time in the word, you get to a point where your resolve is intense. Have you ever seen somebody determined to do exactly what God said to do? And that God empowered them to do? Luke tried to describe it to us. Let's look at his verse. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go. The father had a plan that must be accomplished. He would lead Jesus in the spirit to Jerusalem. He would lead him to suffer. He would lead him to the cross. He would lead him to the grave, and then he'd lead him to the throne. Each of these moments, many of them are going to be absolutely horrible. But the mission's going to be glorious. Jesus set his face. The Greek term here refers to one who's chiseled, unmoving, unwavering, undaunted, unrelieving, unrelenting, completely focused. His face was chiseled like flint to go to Jerusalem. The moment in his ministry when everything changed and he began his walk towards the cross so that he could accomplish all that the Father had for him to do. Look at the words of, through the prophet Isaiah that are actually words of Jesus, which is kind of interesting. Hundreds of years before the cross. I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I've not been disgraced. Therefore I've set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat him up. The moment's difficult, but I know who's in charge of this moment. Bring them on. I gave them my back for whipping. I gave them my cheeks for ripping out my beard. Jesus have a beard? I'll let you process that for a minute. Might change some images you have. Anyway, Jesus tells us through Isaiah that in this moment, I didn't hide. In the moment, I didn't run. In the moment, I stood there. They tried to disgrace me, but they can't because the Lord is in charge of this moment, just like he's been in every moment. I cannot be disgraced. My face is like flint, turns towards this moment and the mission God has for me. Bring it on. My face is chiseled like flint because I know the moment is dim, is dim but my path is lit up. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaria to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Okay, that's odd. Why is that so odd? Well, let me tell you a couple things. 
He sent James and John ahead of him, most likely. Those are probably the messengers. He sent them into the Samaritan town, said, Jesus, the Messiah, is coming to town. Jesus had been through Samaria before. Remember, he met the woman at the well. He'd been through Samaria, but he's coming. Jews didn't really go to Samaria. If you remember, they would walk all the way around. They would take a three-day journey to not have to step foot in Samaria. And yet Jesus says, my face is like flint towards Jerusalem, and the path goes through Samaria. Why? We'll get to that. Do you remember the Samaritans, how the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom, and the Assyrians brought down all their people with them, and they infiltrated, and they started developing half-breeds, and the Jews didn't like it, and they wrote their own Bible, and they decided they didn't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship, and... That's why the woman at the well said, well, our people think we can worship on this mountain. That whole thing with Samaria, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They saw them as half-breeds. They saw them as infidels. They really hated them. So two things are odd here. One, Jesus went through Samaria to go to Jerusalem. And two, they reject him. Why is that so important? Well, his face is turned towards Jerusalem. And one of the things that prophetically has to happen is the Jews are told through the prophets that they're going to reject him. They're going to deny him as their Messiah. That includes the Samaritans. Jesus goes through Samaria and they reject him. His face was set to Jerusalem. That's why they rejected him. He doesn't believe to worship the way we do. He doesn't believe in what we believe. He can't be our Messiah because he's going to Jerusalem. Jesus hardened his face, not in the sense of being angry or an angry man or a hard man, but having focus, knowing where he was going and not being taken from it. So he goes to Samaria and they outright reject him. Summarily, they just reject him. There are two kinds of courage in the world. There's courage of the moment, which requires really no previous thought. And then there's planned courage, which takes a lot more. You see, because Jesus had planned courage. He saw the cross on the horizon. He didn't stumble across it, find himself there, and then be courageous. He took himself to that place. He knew that the moment would be terrible. He knew there'd be a series of moments that are terrible, but his mission was to get to the cross. In fact, if you watch him during the week of passion, he says everything, does everything, and essentially tries to crawl on the cross himself because that's where he belongs, because that's where the Father says he's to go. Luke wants us to see that rejection is Jesus' fate. Whether he's in Samaria or whether he's in Jerusalem, the world's going to reject him. In just a few days, Jesus will be lamenting over the city of Jerusalem for rejecting him. Luke 9, 54, and when the disciple James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? This is like one of the funniest moments in the Bible. I'm sorry. This just cracks me up. It's incredible. They're walking along with Jesus The Samaritans reject him, and James and John, some of his inner three, turn to him and go, hey, you want us to wipe them out? 
You want us to call fire down from heaven? And they ask it almost like it's just another day at work. Hey, you got a lot going on today. You're busy. I think I can take off your plate. How about if I smoke some Samaritans for you? Here's the crazy thing. I would have looked at him and said, you can do that, really? They had no doubt that they could call fire from heaven down if they wanted to. That's incredible faith on the part of James and John. They probably wanted to do this their whole life because they are Jewish after all. But they literally look at the Savior of the world and they say, you want us to do this for you? Give us the word. We'll bring fire down from heaven. We'll zap them. My other thing when I think about this passage, how did Peter not get in on this deal? This is a Peter deal. Peter's all over this kind of thing. Peter always does stuff before he thinks. Where was he in this moment? I'm so disappointed that he wasn't one of the ones that said, hey, let's bring it down. And what's more incredible is Jesus seems to agree with them. At least their ability to call fire down from heaven. He doesn't turn to them and go, you guys on your best day couldn't do that. He doesn't say that. He implies they actually have the power. But smoked Samaritans are not on the menu this day. He turns and he rebukes them. And they went to another village. Interesting to note that Jesus did all kinds of miracles. He brought living water. He turned water to wine. People were baptized with water. He took dirt and he made people see. He calmed storms. He did all those kind of things. But for the most part, he left fire alone. Yes, there was a fire when he restored Peter, but using fire for miracles, he did not do. Fire is reserved for the final judgment. He'll have plenty of that when he comes back. Notice that Jesus turned. His face is set to Jerusalem. He's not focused, so focused that he misses the heart of what his disciples are trying to do. He turns and rebukes them. His resolve and purpose are still long-term. I'm going to the cross. But he's still teaching, leading, rebuking in the moment, never taking his eyes off the greater mission. That's how we're supposed to live. We're living in the moment, but we're living for God's moment in the future. They left and went to another community. The Greek word here means they went to a Jewish community. And notice one other thing. Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem. He's going to go there for one purpose, to be rejected by the Jews. So it's important that the Samaritans, the half-Jews, if you want to call them that, and the Jews reject him as the Messiah. Because that will usher in the Gentile period of time. Jesus would lament over Jerusalem how much he wanted to receive him, but they wouldn't receive him. By the time he gets to the cross, it's clear that his own people have rejected him. Just like the prophets had said hundreds of years before. So the beginning of this Easter story is a moment in Jesus' ministry when he turns towards the cross. From this moment forward, every step takes Jesus to his destiny. Every step is in the will of the Father. His overall plan through a series of horrible, difficult, terrible moments. And even though the moments are going to be horrible, God is pleased to allow them because the overall mission is worth it. Even though the moments are horrible, 
God is pleased to allow it because the overall mission will bring glory to the Father. So let me ask you this. What's your face set towards today? Are you focused on the moment or are you focused on the bigger mission? Do you see what's happening in your life as a bunch of glorious opportunities in your life to grow in faith and trust, knowing that you're part of God's plan for the world? Do you see your life based on who you're going to become, not what's happening in the moment? Is your focus in your life how to use your life to bring the greatest glory to God no matter what happens to you? Is your heart set on his purposes and his plans for the world first and your needs or wishes or anxieties second? Or are you so focused in the moment of your life that you've lost perspective? Are you placing your convenience, your comfort, and your needs ahead of God's mission to save people? As if God should just thwart his overall mission because the process makes you inconvenient or brings anxiety to you or worry in the moment. So if God says, okay, all right, all right, let's don't do what I wanted to do throughout the world because you need to have a series of wrinkle-free moments. That's not who we worship. We're headed into times that are going to be far worse than anything COVID-19 can bring. God's people need to be focused on the mission and the reason we're here. We need to stop focusing on our own convenience and our own comfort and our own safety. Jesus said plagues and earthquakes are just the beginning. But he also told us what was going to happen after that. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes, beginning of birth pains. They will deliver you up to tribulation. They will put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That's the future. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Let me leave you with a thought for this week. You want to know if you're really focused on the mission God has you here or whether you're more concerned about the moments of your life? Answer this question and you'll know. If you could be killed for being here worshiping God this morning, if people said that meeting here was illegal and forbidden and the punishment was death, would you still be here right now? Seriously, would you be? Jesus says you're going to be hated by all nations. All nations. All nations. And many are going to be put to death for my name's sake. People all over the world made this exact choice this morning. There are people all over the world who had to decide this morning if they want to go worship God, knowing they could be killed, or they want to stay away and not follow God. Believers have been making that choice for 2,000 years. We somehow think we're immune to it, as if we're guaranteed safety. In the last 10 years, over 900,000 people have been martyred for Christ in our world. In the last 10 years, almost a million people. What makes us so special? Why should we expect to be any different? Why do we expect to tag along this mission untouched? 
It really distills down to this. Is God's mission on earth, his plan of salvation in the world, his desire to reach those who don't know him more important to you than anything else in the world? Is it more important to you than your life? Or does that mission really only matter if you get to stay comfortable and alive, safe and wrinkle-free at all the moments of your life? Jesus said those who try to save their life will lose it. And he told us beforehand so we wouldn't fear and we'd know that he's in control. The day he's coming, he says, when many will fall away. Is your face chiseled like your Savior's? And set to the mission God has called you to? Are you willing to go through any moment, whatever it takes, to complete the mission that God has put on your life, no matter what it entails? Knowing moments will be tough, but the end will be glorious. Or when he's speaking of falling away, seeking safety instead of him, is he talking about you? Safety is never the absence of danger. It is the presence of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you told us there would be difficult times. I thank you that Jesus modeled for us through Easter what it's like to go through some of the most horrible times on earth for a perfect, great purpose. God, we get so focused on our little bitty lives in our little bitty moments worrying about little bitty things. And you're dealing with all of eternity. You're dealing with souls. You're dealing with people who will spend eternity in hell. You have a mission to reach them. God, please find this church to be a group of people who are saying, I'm here, Lord, send me. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what the risks are. I want to reach the world because you have me on this planet for your mission, and that's the most important thing in my life, and it always will be because Jesus went through moments so I could go through glory. And I'm not afraid to live just like my Savior lived. So God, we pray for our nation. We pray for your people in our nation. We pray, God, that we will be a light in darkness, that we'll glow so much from having spent time with you, that we go out into the world and let them know what's going on. Let them know the reason we have, the hope that we have. God, do not let us be passive in this moment. We love you and we ask it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.